you know, if you can, if you can understand um, what I what I shared last week, and then what I'm going to tie into this week, I think it's really going to bring um, change in people's lives and uh, uh, really revolutionize the way that you see God. How I many you know that? How um, I many you know it feels good when someone is faithful to you? You ever had any, anybody that was faithful to you? You know, um, when you have someone that you can trust and you have someone that is faithful to you, it brings a sense of security um, to your heart. It brings a sense of peace. It brings a sense of rest. Um, you know, faithful, you know, the Bible talks about how a faithful messenger refreshes uh, the bones. And, um, when you're, when you're around someone that you know that you can trust and you know is trustworthy and you know that is going to be faithful to you, it, it brings a real sense of peace and it gets rid of doubt. It gets rid of fear. And um, it's a powerful thing. And um, But, I mean, you know, anyone ever had someone be unconditionally faithful to you? Probably not so much. That's not something that has been experienced so much. But... Um, we, we find out uh, through the scriptures that, that God in the new covenant has presented an unconditional faithfulness to us. And um, it's really, it's life-changing and it's powerful. You know, and like I was sharing last week, you know, I've really been, um, what's the word? I mean, I just almost obsessed with the new covenant and what Jesus did on, on the cross, the finished work of the cross and what the new covenant is. Um, I've just been just so focused on it once I started realizing what it was and realizing the impact that it has and um, I've been focused on it for for several years now but here recently man I, I just went into a to a completely different gear in my understanding of the new covenant and uh, the, in the sense that it reveals the faithfulness of God and um, you know because I mean you know, this world's not going to be faithful to you you know, and how many know that people are going to let you down? You know, they're going to. Like, good people will let you down. How many everybody in this room, how many know we have the ability to let each other down? We do, man. I mean, we just, we're human, and we're, we're not perfect. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. And and so, you know, we, we have times when, you know, people let us down. We have times when we let ourselves down. And, um, you know... When, you, when you're walking, you know, say you're walking on a foundation and that, let's say the floor itself, you ever walked on a, on a floor and it was unsure and you weren't sure if it was going to fall or you weren't sure if you're going to fall through? I mean, you know, as you walk, you're not walking with confidence because you're not sure if it's going to support you or not. Y'all tracking me here? And so it's going to impact your walk. And so, you know, we, we live in a world where there's a lot of unfaithfulness. There's a lot of betrayal. Um, there's a lot of, you know, people letting us down. We let ourselves down. And so what that can do is it can develop um, just a sense of unsureness, a sense of, you know, doubt, a sense of fear, um, even anxiety, <clears throat> because uh, nothing seems to be sure. You know, and in the times that we're living in, you know, we live in the information age, but like, how I many know a lot of the information's lies? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I mean, like, just because we have a ton of information doesn't mean that we have truth. And 
doesn't even mean that you know it's even accurate information but you know we live in a time of you know in our in our pocket you know is our phone and i mean you can you can get information from all over the world but it doesn't mean that it's accurate information it doesn't mean that it's true um you know i mean there are a lot of things that are presented as truth but really they're they're lies and so what that can do is that can develop within us just a sense of unsureness you know like lily for example she's she she is born to trust right like she's ready to trust eli ready to trust how I many of we come into this world ready to trust but a lot of times you know that childlike faith and that beautiful heart as you get older um, you start to find out that you can't just trust everything and everyone in fact you have to kind of be careful where where you put your trust in i mean the bible says that we're called to love unconditionally but i mean no, we're not actually called to trust unconditionally to trust unconditionally is it, it, foolish um you know and, and um, you know if you take a look you know you take a walk through proverbs you can find out you know who you need to trust and who you don't need to trust and and so you know we live in a world where, where trust is broken and where those things happen and then we live in a world where, you know, how I many old tragedy strikes and challenging things happen and they happen on the regular. And so um, it can be difficult for people to trust because their trust has been so hurt and, and so abused, you know. And then, you know, we take a look at man-made religion and how I many you know that's damaged a, a lot of people's trust. You know, we've been doing a lot of... Uh, evangelism and you know going out the streets and praying for people and talking to people and it's amazing how many people have been hurt in the name of God it's amazing how many people have been abused you know but you have to understand the enemy he doesn't play fair and um, he gets some of his best work done through uh, unfortunately the church and and through doing things in the name of God I mean I think some of the some of the greatest atrocities that humanity has experienced has been done in the name of God. And so um, there, there's just a lot of broken trust and man-made religion has helped, you know, increase that in the earth. But what, I, what I've come to find out in the new covenant is that God has presented, uh, we're just going to do a little bit of a review before we step into what we have this morning. God has presented to us an unconditional faithfulness. And we looked at that last week. How I many know oh, God will be faithful to you when you're not faithful to yourself? How I many know oh, God will be faithful to you even when you're not faithful to him? I mean, I know that I tried within all of my power uh, to run from God, you know, and to, to not serve God. And But his, his faithfulness to me... Um, even in the midst of my own disobedience, in the midst of my own mistakes, my own rebellion, unbelief, you know, used to be an atheist, all that type of stuff. His faithfulness changed my heart um, and wooed me and won me over. I mean, oh, God sees the big picture. And sometimes what happens is all you can see is a failure. You're looking at just one failure. You know, I mean, oh, you can get so, I mean, you heard the, the terminology, you can't see the forest for the trees. I mean, you, know, you can get so focused on one thing that happened in your life that you can't see everything else. I mean, you, know, you can get so focused on a hurt or a pain or a betrayal that, that everything you look at 
you look at it through the lens of that experience. And so, you know, how many, if I, if I spent my entire life and I walked around with my hand in front of my face like this, how many of it's going to be difficult for me to exist and see the world that we live in? I can see it to some degree, but I have something blocking my vision tremendously. And I think that for some people, they've had, they've had tragedy happen or betrayal or hurt happen. And as a result of that, they're viewing everything through that lens. You know, and Paul said this, he said, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. And he prioritized the ability to not live in yesterday, not live in a moment, not live in a moment of triumph and not live in a moment of defeat in the past, but, but to, to live, you know, in the right now. And if, if we're allowing something to be our, our, our focus, you know, how I many know if y'all, you know, if you're in a forest and you're standing in front of one tree, and all you can see is that tree. I mean, you can't see the, the beauty of the entire forest because you're just focused on one thing. And, and I know that the enemy, one of the things that he wants to do is he wants to destroy people's ability to trust. He wants to uh, wound people to the point that they don't, their, their heart is hurt and they don't have the ability to, to trust again. And, and he, he definitely wants to do that in the name of God. Because if he can get you to lose trust in God because of another Christian or another minister or something that's happened in your life, I mean, you, know, you could miss out on the beauty and majesty of Jesus as a result of one moment of failure. Are y'all tracking me here? I mean, you, know, you, you, you have to kind of... To, to let go of these things, forgetting those things which are behind and move forward. And, and Jesus over and over again, he says, have a childlike faith. Have a child. How many children naturally trust? Like I said, we're born trusting in this world, but a lot of times things happen that abuse that. But God wants to, to bring us back to the place of a childlike trust in him because of his unconditional faithfulness to us. And, and when you start to really understand the new covenant, you start to find out just how powerful God's faithfulness is. Because what we looked at last week is we found out that this covenant wasn't, wasn't just cut with us personally. But how many know that this covenant was, was cut with, with Abraham and that Abra and with Abraham? And then how many know Abraham and Abraham's seed? Not seeds of many, but seeds of one. Because how many of Christ, Jesus is that seed of Abraham, right? And so now uh, we are, as born-again believers, how many of we're now in Christ? And so this covenant that we enjoy is God's faithfulness to Jesus. And we are caught up right in the middle of that. And so what it does is it actually removes the weak link out of... Um, out of the situation. I mean, under the, the reason that God found fault with the old covenant is God could only be faithful to man to the level that man was faithful back to him or faithful to the commandments. And so God's faithfulness um, was, was hindered because man's faithfulness was that weak link. But the, the new covenant is actually not like that. It's not based on the faithfulness of man. It's based on the faithfulness of God. And so now in this new covenant, God is going to be faithful to you unconditionally 
because you are now in Christ. And it removes the, the ability for you to break that covenant or step out of that covenant according to your own mistakes or your own disobedience. Wait a minute, Jeremiah. Well, let me ask you this question. When Noah was in the ark, <clears throat> do you think that there may have been times when Noah and his wife got an argument? <clears throat> I dare say that as the annihilation of the world is taking place and there are multitudes of animals, I mean, I mean, oh, you can get in an argument with someone when you're in a, in a car full of people, let alone an ark filled with every living creature who are using the restroom. You know, I have to think that the ark probably didn't smell great, you know. And, you know, and not only that, you were talking about some bumpy travel. You know, I've hit a couple bumps in the road, but can you imagine being on the ark during the flood? I mean, I think there may have been some moments where some potential strife could have broken out. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> She'd be like, you know, no, where are we going? I don't know. You're supposed to know where we're going. I don't know where we're going. We're just not going to die. <laughs> I don't know. But I mean, know that the mistakes that they made inside the ark were still covered in the ark. I mean, you know, I mean, Noah could fall in the ark, but he's still in the ark, so he's safe. Strife could break out in the ark, but they're still safe because they're in the ark. The ark was a safe place that God created to protect man, right? I mean... Yes, man, it is good. How many know that Jesus is now your modern-day ark? And now you are in Christ. And as an individual that's in Christ, how many know you might make mistakes? But you're not going to make mistakes that pull you out of Christ because you've been placed in Christ according to a new birth, according to the finished work of the cross. How many know... The person you used to be died, and you are now joined to the Lord, and you're not going to be unjoined to the Lord. You know, just like, you know, you know, my kids are not going to suddenly stop having my DNA. I mean, they can't do it. They don't have the option of rejecting my DNA. It's inside of them. They can't change it, right? If my human seed is powerful enough to maintain their genetic identity, how much more the incorruptible seed of the word of God is able to maintain your identity when you might not look like a Christian, you might not walk like a Christian, you might not talk like a Christian, but you are in Christ. Y'all tracking me here? I mean, oh, you can have <clears throat> bad days. You can have moments of failure. But how many of those bad days and those moments of failure, they do not define who you are? And listen to me, they don't define who you are, and they also don't change the faithfulness of God towards you. Amen? God's faithfulness to you, once again, is not based on your conduct, but based upon the fact that you're in Christ. When we're standing before the judgment seat, we're not going to lay out our good and bad deeds. We're going to lay out whether we believed in Jesus and received him or we chose to reject him. If you're either going to be in the ark or outside of the ark. You're either going to be in the Christ or outside of the Christ. Can you get an amen? God has made this thing so easy. He couldn't have made it any easier than what he made it. He, he, he endeavored to make it man-proof. <laughs> I 
Are y'all tracking me here? Because like, if we could mess it up, we would. We've proven that as the human race. If, if it can be messed up, we're going to do it. And so God said, you know, this next covenant, you know, and God exemplified it in the sense that <clears throat> he put Abraham to sleep when he actually cut the covenant with him. He's like, you know, I don't really need you to be involved. I just need you to believe. Go to sleep. Let me cut the covenant. This has nothing to do with you and everything to do with me. I mean, you know, Abraham made multitudes of mistakes. You know, um, he lied about his wife. He was cowardly. He brought a lot with him. God didn't tell him to bring a lot with him. He made all kinds of mistakes. But he had a God who was faithful to the covenant that he cut with him. And I mean, you know, God's faithfulness caused Abraham to ride high. And caused him to ultimately be blessed, even though he made plenty of mistakes. Because the goodness of God lifted Abraham up and made his name great. It wasn't Abraham's greatness that made him great. It was God's greatness that made him great. Can I get an amen? And so this covenant that you have, if we can start to understand this, it'll start to solidify in our heart the faithfulness of God towards us. And we'll start to actually be able to trust him. See, if your ability to trust God is going to be based upon your ability to do everything right, you're not going to trust God very much. If, you're, if your ability to trust God is going to be based on you, then, then you're, you're, you're not going to really be able to weather the storm. Because how many of there's always a chink in your armor? The enemy, he's the master at, at, at accusing you. That's what his name means. And he'll find the chink in your armor. You know what I'm saying? I mean, no, nobody's got it. Nobody's, nobody's perfect. Nobody's completed this thing. And, you know, even, and here's the challenging thing about it is sometimes the most zealous Christian is the person that's the most susceptible to the enemy's attack. Because, you know, you're trying so hard. Well, I'm trying to do this, and I'm trying to do that, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and I'm going to do this, and you're trying. But how many know that if, if you allow the enemy to get your eyes off of Jesus, to get your eyes back on yourself, he'll be like, oh, but there's one thing you lack. You need to do this more. You need to do this more. Oh, you should have done that. You should have prayed. You should have did it. You, you follow me. <clears throat> and if your attention and your focus comes upon you and determining whether God's going to be faithful to you or not, how many know your faith will be shipwrecked and your faith will be destroyed? So understanding the new covenant is we have to stop being self-conscious and self-introspective and looking at ourselves all the time. And we have to put our eyes on Jesus and, and recognize that God's faithfulness to us is based upon God's faithfulness to Jesus. Now, Please understand this. And that doesn't mean God doesn't love you and he loves Jesus and he's just tolerating you because you're in Jesus. You need to understand that. God so loved you that he sent Jesus so that he could honor a covenant with perfection. And, and so to where now you and I, we can be hidden in Christ and we can experience an unconditional goodness that will transform our lives and change us and do the same thing that it did to Abraham. I mean, well, Abraham became a man of great faith. I mean, well, Abraham became a man of tremendous obedience. One of the greatest acts of obedience ever asked of a human being was asked of Abraham, and he immediately responded. God said, you know, give me Isaac. He said, okay. Why did he do that? What was, why did he do that? Because he had experienced the faithfulness of God in the midst of his own mistakes in the midst of his own transgression, in the midst of even his own unbelief,
God's faithfulness purged him of fear concerning trusting God. Amen? And so, and we don't have time to, to, to study this out because we looked at it last week, but you're in Christ. God's covenant is cut with Christ. And, and so now, God's faithfulness to you is not based on you, it's based on Jesus. Are y'all tracking me here? If you can get a hold of that, and you can really get that, not just in a head knowledge thing, but really get that down in your heart, it will cause your walk to become more sure. Because you have a more steady foundation than your own perfect conduct. That's where faith lives. That's where faith arises. If God's faithfulness to you is based upon your own conduct, then you are your own Messiah. You are your own blesser. You are your own, you are the initiator and the originator of the goodness of God. It sets you in the driver's seat to control God's goodness. Okay? And, and it's actually not like that at all. God has a plan to be faithful to you because you're in Christ. Can I get an amen? And it removes the weak link. It removes the question marks. It removes the fear. And then you start to experience the faithfulness of God. And now you have confidence in the midst of the storm because you're not weighing yourself in the balances when the storm is raging. Instead of weighing yourself in the balances and sinking in the water, you're putting your eyes on Jesus and saying, that's my Savior. That's the mediator of the covenant. That's my high priest. That, that's even the sacrifice. I mean, we found out he was the mediator. He was the sacrifice. Um, and he's the high priest. He actually does everything. And so now God can start to assure your hearts of his faithfulness. And that faithfulness will change you and cause you to want to live a life that glorifies his name as a result of you wanting to, not a result of you being made to. Y'all track him here. See, God's always been after your heart. If he can get your heart, he'll get your hands, he'll get your actions, he'll get your conduct, but he wants your heart. Same thing for our kids. I want my kids' heart. I don't want a perfect obedience. I want their heart. I want them to trust me. I want them to be able to come to me in their failure and be honest with me, knowing that I'm not going to cast them out, uh, that my love for them is not based upon their, their perfection. I love who they are. And I mean, you know, and so, so when you fall... In this new covenant, you're still in Christ. Can you get an amen? And you're still in the ark. And there's a place of safety. And there's a place of wholeness. And as we start to understand that, it starts to empower us. I mean, as long as Peter kept his eyes on Jesus, he could walk on the, on the waves. But, but when we start to get self-conscious and looking at ourselves and weighing ourselves in the balances, one of two things happen. We either, our faith gets destroyed in God's faithfulness because we don't feel like we're worthy. Or we try so hard that we burn ourselves out and we break. One of those two things usually, usually happens there, right? Um, the other thing is when legalism comes in and, and you spend your life judging everybody else uh, to, to get the condemnation off of you. And none of, none of those things are, are the kingdom. None of those things are God's will. So we got this covenant that's actually cut with Jesus. And so that means the faithfulness of God is based on his faithfulness to Jesus. Amen? And that removes questions in your life. And then allows faith to rise up your heart. Now turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, please. And uh, we looked at that last week. 
I'm going to continue to study that and endeavor to understand that. But as I was preaching last week, I made this statement that I had never heard before. And I knew it was straight from the Spirit of the Lord. And uh, it was just light and it was inside and it was immediate. But I talked about weaponizing the obedience of Christ. And I thought, man, that is, I mean, it just came out of my mouth. But as it came out of my mouth, I thought, wow. And I saw it for just a moment. You know, when you're when you're under the influence of the Holy Spirit and the Spirit, you just, it's like your mind catches up, you know, and the light comes and you're just like, wow. And then as I saw that, and then I just began to just study that and take a look at, at, at what that actually means. And then it just, it, it really revolutionizes, it, for me, the way I handle warfare and the way I handle the enemy and the way I handle the things in this life, okay? Um, and so let's look at it. St. Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 3. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Now, what is the subject matter of this passage of Scripture? War. Battle. Now, you have to understand that the war that you're in is a war that's already been won. You're not fighting for victory. You're fighting from victory. Okay? And so there is a battle. I mean, you can't remove that concept. Paul said, fight the good fight of faith. I mean, it's everywhere in Scripture. He uses illustrations of armor. And so there's still, there's still a battle, um, but it's not a battle where you're, you're trying to win the war. The war is won. Amen? I mean, oh, I can't believe, I don't remember if it's World War I or World War II, but they announced the war was over, but there are some people who didn't know it was over. I think it was a World War I or World War II, you history buffs. Probably both of them, most of them. Okay. Well, they announced it was over, but there were people who were still fighting because they didn't know that it was over. They thought that they were still fighting. And and how many know that, that ultimately the war of creation and the fall of man and redemption, how many know 2,000 years ago Jesus won that war, right? <clears throat> that war is over. Um God's heart towards man, sin has been taken care of, um, you know, the, the enemy's been stripped of all power, um, he has no, you know, the last enemy that will bow down to the kingdom is death, and there'll be no more dying, right? But, so the war is won, but there's still a battle, what's the battle? The battle now is to believe that the war is over, and to stand fast that the, the finished work of the cross um, was really and truly finished, right? Our battle now is to believe. And so, how I many? Anybody find any battles in here? <laughs> right? We fight some battles, right? We have some challenges, man. I mean, we do. It's difficult. We know the war is won, but there's still there's some fights that we have. But ultimately, the fight will always be an issue of believing. Because here's the thing: when you're believing properly, you're in a place of rest. How I many you know that he that believes has entered into rest? The presence of faith, when faith is there, there's going to be a sense of rest. Now, I have areas of my life that I'm completely at rest in. Okay? And in those areas are areas that I trust God with. I have areas of my life that sometimes I'm trusting God with those areas, and sometimes I take it from God, and then I'm trying to be the, in control of what's going on, right? And when I'm in control and I'm not trusting God, I have no rest because it's up to me to make it happen, right? And in that place, 
I'm either developing pride because I think I'm awesome, or I'm developing depression because I know I'm not. <laughs> and, and, and the preoccupation is not self. What we want to do is we want our, our pre we want our focus to be on the Lord. And so, but there is there is a battle, and it's a battle of faith, right? And so, I just wanted to bring that out. There is a war. This is talking about battles. So let me read that again. For, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Now, I used to think war <clears throat> according to the flesh was talking about fists. You know, you know we walk. I mean, we do walk in the flesh. I'm in the flesh right now, right? But I don't. I mean, I can't punch the devil in the face. And I do think that there's an element of truth to that, but I think there's actually a deeper meaning of what this passage is actually talking about. I mean, I would love to punch the devil in the face. <laughs> I would, you know, um, I, I would, but I can't. But I, but however, how I many know I do have some weapons up, and I can't fight. And I, I mean, no, there is a war going on. Amen. I, I think the the war is is probably. More intense than I've ever seen it ever. I'm talking about light and darkness, good and evil. And uh, there's a war going on, man. And and in this time, the enemy would love nothing more than to distract you away from your purpose and to get you focused, you know, on comfort, to get you focused on anything other than the kingdom. I mean, you know that this life is a flash in the pan compared to eternity. And how many know that you actually forfeited the right for this life to be yours by receiving Jesus? I mean, and you're not, we, this isn't your life anymore. How many know you you gave that up at the door? <clears throat> what are you talking about, Jeremiah? How many know that that we died, and now our life is hidden in Christ? You know, Paul said, "I'm crucified with Christ. Never let I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me." I mean, Jesus has moved into you, and He plans to live His life through you. Now, your best life is is yielding to Him and allowing Him to call the shots and to lead you by His Spirit and to lead you by His Word. But I mean, periodically we can push back in that and enter into a season of selfishness. Enter into a season of you know you know what's in it for me myself I all of these things. How many of y'all have ever done that? But how many of y'all that never ends well? You know I can't tell you how many times I, I've walked down that path of selfishness and ended up miserable and had to stop really and and repent. You know metanoia changed my mind and give my life back to God and remember no you're Lord not me. You're the boss, not me. <clears throat> because anytime I start trying to be the boss, things, things don't end up well. Now, they may be good for a little bit as I'm trying to be the boss, but ultimately, um, the way you're designed is that all things are created by him, all things are created for him. Your, your, your best life on this planet is a life that's lived unto Jesus, a life that's lived unto the Lord, literally. And when you find someone who has a hold of that, that's a happy person. How I many know you can sweep the floor as unto the Lord? You can, man. You 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 can you can garden as unto the Lord. You can you can have marriage as unto the Lord. You can raise your children as unto the Lord. You can play a sport as unto the Lord. You can. There is a way where the attitude of your heart can be. I'm doing this for God's glory. 
In that place is happiness and joy because you're doing what you were created to do. Amen? I mean, all things were created by Jesus. All things were created for Jesus. That means that, you know, we're created for him. And when we're living as unto him, it's like that key that goes into the lock. And it unlocks happiness and joy and purpose and desire and all of these things. But I don't know, when we try to put something before the Lord, it ends up being an idol. Amen? And when I put something before the Lord, it makes something more important to the Lord. I mean, well, that can be a person. That can be a job. Um, that can be a child. That can be a sport. That can be anything. And when I do that, how I many know an idol can't save you? How I many know you got to carry an idol? And it's heavy, right? Idols can't save. And so, and the enemy is always trying to make something more important than the Lord in your life, right? And because he's trying to disrupt the flow and he's trying to disrupt priorities. But the beauty is, is when you step out and you get onto that path kind of of selfishness or whatever you got going on, I mean, all you got to do is turn around. All you got to do is change your priorities. All you got to do, and then back comes purpose, back comes hope, back comes desire, back comes happiness, all of these things, because the Lord is in his proper place, which I mean, you know, he's, he, he is to be seated on the throne in your heart and in your life. Can I get an amen? And so that's the place of beauty. That's the place of, 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 of awesomeness and, and when we're living as unto the Lord. And so that's what, that's what God's called us to do. So you can, there's a joy in that. There's a happiness in that. There's a, there's an awesomeness in that that's there, right? And so, but the, the, the war is, there's a battle to try to stop that from happening. And I know there's also a battle to, to keep people from knowing about Jesus. Keep, keep people from being saved. Ultimately, that's our ultimate purpose down here on this planet is we're ministers of reconciliation to a lost and dying world. Amen? You know, and, and, and so the enemy's trying to stop these things from happening all the time. But we do have weapons that we can fight with, right? They're not fist weapons. They're not, you know, literal sword weapons or guns or any of these things. <clears throat> but, and I'm going to touch back on this, what I, for we walk in the flesh, we not war according to the flesh. I'm going to talk about warring according to the flesh in just a minute that, that God has revealed to me that's different than what I initially thought with just like hands and fists and stuff like that. But let's continue to move down here and let's look at the context. So we're talking about war. He says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. Mighty in God. So they're mighty in God. These are weapons that come from God. These are God's weapons. You know, um, these are not the product of our strength or our ability or anything of us. These are these these are these weapons are mighty in God. And now, and it gives us the purpose behind them. It says for the pulling down of strongholds. And uh, you know, we've talked about strongholds in the past, but but a, a stronghold in biblical times is a place where the enemy occupied an area. And and how many know that most of our battles here, you win this, you'll win on the outside. This is going to talk about thoughts. This battle, it's where it's going to go to. And what what a stronghold is is it's an area in our thought process and in our mind where we've believed a lie for a long time and it's allowed the enemy to build a fortress in our thought process 
that, that inhabits a place in our mind and, and the way we think. For example, you know, as a result of the rejection that I dealt with, you know, in my childhood and, and the fact that I grew up poor, you know, and, and we didn't have anything and, and multitudes of other reasons, I developed a stronghold in my mind of I'm not good enough. You know, I'm not as good as other people. I'm not, you know, I'm not worthy. Just a sense of being less than, you know, and that was a stronghold that was built in my mind. And the enemy occupied that garrison with these fiery darts of you're no good. If I start to try to step out or do something, it's like you can't do that. You know, other people can do that, but you can't. You know, you're not this, you're not that, you're not this, you know. And that stronghold, it, it, it was in my, how I many you know you can still have that stronghold as a believer? Unfortunately, man-made religion has the ability to actually strengthen that stronghold. And actually send in the enemy's troops into your mind saying, you're not good enough, you're not strong enough, you're not blessed enough, you haven't done enough, you, 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 you. And, and that stronghold can grow so big and so strong, it can almost be just a crippling thing. And, and what you're dealing with is just thoughts, fiery darts, thoughts that are lies and that are not truth. Are y'all tracking me here? And so God said, I've given you weapons um, to pull that stronghold down, you know? And I've had some strongholds that were pulled down in my life. You know, I used to deal with depression, had that stronghold pulled down. I used to deal with addiction, had that stronghold pulled down. <clears throat> Everybody in here, how many of y'all have made some progress? You have. You've made progress. Now you have some areas of your life where there, there's not progress, and you have some areas of your life where you're still challenged, but but God has empowered us to pull down those strongholds so that we're not going to embrace and believe a lie. I mean, when truth comes to you, it brings freedom. Can I get an amen? When truth comes to you, it brings freedom. So this this warfare, <coughs> this battle. With the weapons that are mighty in God that God's given to you, it's going to pull this stronghold down in your thinking. And then casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Now, these arguments and high things that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God, now that can be, certainly that can be condemnation, that can be accusation, that can be all these things. But how many of the world is always attacking Christianity? They think they can attack it with science. I, you know, true science actually lines up with the Bible. It does. <clears throat> um, and they, they try to attack it. There's a million ways that they, they, they're constantly trying to attack it. But God says, you know, I've given you a weapon to pull down the stronghold, to cast down the argument, and to bring down the high thing that would try to exalt itself above the knowledge of God. And then he goes on and he, and, he, and he says, bringing every thought into captivity. 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 It's an interesting comment. Bringing every thought into captivity. So we find out that this warfare that he's talking about, and I said a second ago, is primarily here in the mind. It's primarily in the thought processes, right? <clears throat> and we have the ability to bring every thought captive. Now, we find out what the weapon is in this passage. Look at it. I mean, let me read to you in context. For though we walk in the flesh, <clears throat> we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself to the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the 
obedience of Christ. That's your weapon. That's your weapon. That's the weapon that's mighty in God, is the obedience of Christ. <clears throat> because the obedience of Christ has been set to your account. It's been given to you as a gift. And that's where we use that word righteousness all the time. Dakasune um, in the Greek. And it, it, it how many know that, and we talk about righteousness a lot, but the reason that righteousness has been given to you as a gift is because of Jesus's obedience. Now, I brought this out last week, too. I mean, you know, Jesus did not earn his own righteousness. We told you, Jeremiah. I mean, you know, Jesus was born righteous. He was born of a virgin. He had none of the, the fallen blood of man on the inside of him. Jesus was born righteous. But do you know that he actually earned your righteousness? How did he do it? <clears throat> he fulfilled the righteousness of the law. He was the guy. They could go to the Ten Commandments and say, I kept this one, this one, this one, this one, this one. I fulfilled it. I mean, Jesus fulfilled the Old Covenant as a man. Because it had to be done as a man. It couldn't be done any other way. He fulfilled it. He ended it. He became the sacrifice for everybody that couldn't. He rose again from the dead, proving that all the sin of all mankind had been taken care of at the cross. And now... Anyone who believes that Jesus is the Son of God, that he was raised from the dead, um, and that he died on the cross, believes those things, they get the gift of righteousness given to them, which is the obedience of Christ. Are y'all tracking me here? You've been given, the, and, and I read this passage to you, I don't want you to turn it, but I just want to read it. Romans 5, 17 it says, for by one man's offense, death reigned for the one, much more those who receive an abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. Everybody say gift. So what we find out in the gospel is that God's righteousness has been given to us as a gift. And it's not a gift that's just placed in your pocket that you can pull out periodically. He that knew no sin became sin, come on Jesus, that you can become the righteousness of God in him. You stepped into Christ, and now you've been made righteous. Okay? And you've been given the same righteousness <clears throat> that Jesus enjoys. The same exact righteousness. You've not been given a lesser righteousness, you've not been given a smaller righteousness, you've not been given you know, righteousness light, you know, you've been given the gift of righteousness. And so, to bring that, you know, just into context, how many of y'all think that God heard Jesus' prayers? Right? How many of y'all Jesus demonstrated an unusual level of confidence that God heard his prayers? Amen? Jesus wasn't nervous. Jesus wasn't afraid. You know, <clears throat> Jesus, you know, he, he operated in all of this authority. Why? Because he was right with God. Are y'all tracking me here? He was the righteousness of God in Christ. And so it's that righteousness that's been given to you as a gift. And so now that righteousness represents the obedience of Christ. 
the obedience of Christ is your greatest weapon in time of war. Because here's the thing. The enemy doesn't want you looking at the obedience of Christ. He wants you looking at the obedience of Michael. He wants you looking at the obedience of Connie. He wants you looking at the, you know, the, the obedience of Brian. He wants you looking at your obedience. Listen to me. Your obedience can get the job done. And we've been foolishly taught to think that it was our obedience that was the key to winning the war. It's not. Now, your obedience of faith, of believing, um, that is what God wants. God wants you to believe in his son and receive all that his son's given. But your obedience of conduct is not what's going to determine your ability to defeat the enemy. Now, let me, let me say this so you don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that your actions don't matter. I'm not saying there's not accountability for your behavior. I'm not saying that stupid decisions don't get stupid results. <clears throat> I'm not saying that he that sows to the flesh is going to reap corruption. I'm not saying that there is not cause and effect concerning your behavior. I mean, you know, clearly life has taught you this. I mean, there's going to be repercussion. Now, I'm not saying that by any stretch of the means, but I'm talking about God's faithfulness to you is based upon his faithfulness to Jesus, God's faithfulness to you, and your ability to pray, your ability to take a stand, your ability to, to, to fight this war that we're in, your, your, the, the confidence is not going to be based upon your obedience. If it's based upon your physical obedience, what's going to happen is the enemy's going to be able to rob you of faith at any moment. <clears throat> oh, you're going to pray that? Do you really think God's going to answer that prayer? You know you haven't been doing this. Here's the attack. <clears throat> now, now, now here's the thing. If you were under the old covenant, then that would be a valid argument. <clears throat> because the old covenant was based upon your obedience. But how do you know you're now not under the old covenant? Your obedience isn't what's on display. I mean, you know, it's now Jesus' obedience. Y'all tracking me here. And, and Jesus' obedience has been finalized and crystallized and finished 2,000 years ago. And now it's been given to you as a gift. So when you wage war, your weapon is the obedience of Christ. Now, let's go back up to that first verse real quick <clears throat> in, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 3. It says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Anywhere else, come on, house, come on, you know, fisticuffs. You know what I think warring according to the flesh is now, as God's revealed to me? I think it's you taking a stand based upon your obedience and not Jesus. That's flesh. That's war Because... <clears throat> I mean, oh, you can't polish up the flesh and make it worthy. And, and when you're in, I mean, oh, being in the flesh means being in yourself. In what you can do. In your own efforts. In your own ability. I mean, oh, you know, <clears throat> being in the flesh means trusting in self. How many people 
have stepped out to fight the enemy and they were warring in the flesh according to their own obedience and not according to Christ's obedience. How many of you going to get your butt kicked like that? Now, the enemy wants to lure you onto that battlefield. Oh, you're so awesome. You're an awesome Christian. You're amazing. You're so much better than these other Christians. You know so much better. You're so much more spiritual. You're awesome. How I many of you know he'll come at you with flattery to inflate your pride so that when you're on the battlefield, he just pop it with a needle? <clears throat> because you're not enough, and I'm not enough. The only one that is enough is the Lamb of God. And so how many times have we fought a battle or fought a war and we were fighting in the flesh because we were looking to trust ourselves and not looking to trust in what Jesus has done? Can I get an amen? <clears throat> See, that's legalism. That's warring according to the flesh. The enemy will eat your lunch. Primarily, he's a prosecuting attorney. He's the accuser of the brethren. He's like a really good lawyer. <clears throat> he's going to find something wrong with you, Right. And, 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 and it's actually not that hard to do. You know, if you take a look at the standards of God's righteousness and holiness, none of us measure up according to our own conduct. Did you have something? Yeah. 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 And here's the thing. You cannot convince anybody of that. The diploma, the way out of that's failure. You gonna have to, you know what I'm saying? Like the only, the only, the diploma of legalism is failure. Your failure opens the door to receive grace. That's good, and and, and unfortunately, that 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 concept of self-help and willpower has entered into the church, and it's everywhere right now. I mean, church as a whole, it's a lot of self-help classes. And, you know, and you need to try harder, and you need to do more, and you need to do this, and you need to do that. And there's no reliance on Jesus, and all the reliance comes upon ourselves. And in that place, we, we, our pride gets developed, and also, and then we fail. You know, and the only way people medicate their failure in legalism is they accuse other people. That's how they medicate it. What are you talking about, Jeremiah? Well, I just, if I, I failed so much, I feel so bad, but I'm going to hide behind a pointed finger. I'm going to point out what's wrong in your life so I can feel better about myself. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to tear you down. I'm going to gossip about you. Well, you're like this and you're like that. And really, all they're doing is they're skewing out condemnation because they themselves are experiencing condemnation. And that's why it, it's, it's turning the church at large into this, this uh, cannibalistic community of people just devouring each other, you know, being prideful and thinking they're awesome and then failing and then hiding behind their failure and pointing and accusing everybody else. And it's just not the kingdom. The kingdom is Christ. This is about Jesus. It's about what he's done, man. We are just the recipients of amazing grace. We don't generate it. We don't make it happen. We just simply receive it. 
But this, this concept of the obedience of Christ as your weapon, because that's what he's talking about here. That's what he's talking about. Let me read it to you again. For we don't, we don't war in the flesh. We, we walk in the flesh. We don't war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself to the knowledge of God, bringing every thought in captivity Excuse me, to the obedience of Christ. Now I want you to vision. I'm meant to get this together, but I get a chance. Pretend like I just struck a match. <laughs> I got a match right here, right? I mean, know that, and once again, the, 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 this, this war is here. I mean, the, the scripture refers to the enemy's lives as the fiery darts of the wicked one. The enemy will shoot a lie into your mind of temptation, of accusation. Of not being good enough, whatever, and he'll shoot it in the first person like it's you saying it. Doesn't speak in the third person, it speaks in the first person. Now, here comes a, a lie. You know, God's not gonna do that for you, Jeremiah, you know, because you know, you didn't do this or you did do this or whatever. You know, the example I used to use is my dog. You know, I was mad at my dog for like a year. <laughs> I mean my dog are making progress, things are better, amen. He actually, actually let him, he, he stayed out all night, not in his cage, first time the other day. Not because we wanted to, but because we forgot to put him in there. And he didn't destroy anything. And so we were like, hallelujah. <laughs> you know? And so we've let him be by himself, because in the past, he would just, he just destroy something, right? Um, but he's made progress. But I had a season in my life where it was, it was a real challenge. And so, I mean, the enemy will find some way where you're failing. And say, God's not going to do this or bless you or help you and your family because of this. Mistake. Anybody experienced that thought process before? You know what you got to do? Here's the match, right? Imagine we have a, a, a bowl of water right here. Take that fiery dart and drop it into the obedience of Christ. And put the fire out. So that... It removes every question in your mind of whether God's going to be for you or not. See, if you try to put that fire out, yeah, but but the reason God's going to do it for me is, you know, I came to church last week, or you know, or I I gave, or or I witnessed to somebody, or I prayed, or 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 I did this, or I was kind to somebody, or I I I I I. You can't put the fiery dart out with you. You can't. You are not enough. Because the enemy will, oh, he did that? Well, think about so-and-so. What are they doing? The enemy always gets you to compare you with somebody else. Well, think about what they're doing. Think about, you know, you know, Jeremiah's out there, you know, witnessing the people on the streets all the time. You should be doing that. You know, so God loves Jeremiah. God doesn't love you. There's a bunch of crap. Kill that thing, man. Silence it. Drop it into the obedience of Christ. Put out the fire. Are y'all tracking me here? Because he says, take the thought captive. How do you know water, just imagine, I wish I had brought it in, but I just got busy. But water will, will, will take captive that fire and put it out. How do you know there's more obedience of Christ than there is of your failure? There's more, you know, just like if we took that match and we dropped it into the Pacific Ocean, I mean, the Pacific Ocean isn't going to struggle in putting that match out. 
Jesus's obedience is bigger than the Pacific Ocean. So the obedience of Christ is powerful and all-consuming, and it'll put that fire out immediately. It'll remove the question in your mind of whether God is for you or not. Take the thought captive. How do you take it captive? The obedience of Christ. No, that's on Jesus' tab. Never take a stand outside of Jesus. You know, no, no Christian would ever think, well, I'm going to take a stand outside of Jesus. But that's what we do when we try to war according to our own obedience. We're trying to cut a side covenant. It's going back into the old covenant. And listen, the devil will kick your butt under the old covenant. Mount Sinai is a rough place. <clears throat> I mean, you know, when Mount Sinai went down, it was crazy. He said, don't even touch it. Why? <clears throat> because in Mount Sinai, we remove the grace of God. The children of Israel was like, hey, look, we don't want grace. We don't want Abraham's covenant. Whatever you tell us, we can do. We're going to do this thing. And God was like, you are. Yes. He's like, scoot back. <laughs> Let me blow this trumpet. Don't touch this mountain. Because now you're going to have, give me one second. Now you're going to have to stand in your obedience. And folks, our obedience, it just don't look that good. Like, it's not that great, man. And, 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 but that's what happened. And so now Mount, Mount Sinai is a place of death. Amen. Thousands of people died. Because all of a sudden, man now had to take a stand in his own obedience. And God, being a just and righteous and holy God, had to be honest and real. Okay, I'll give you what you deserve. But let's institute one more thing so you don't get wiped out in one day. Let's institute the animal sacrifices so that it'll cover your sin. <clears throat> because man does not have the ability to stand on their own. And so the enemy's always trying to bring you back to Mount Sinai to fight a battle with you. God ain't on Mount Sinai. I mean, he's on Mount Zion. What's his statement about Mount Zion? The spirits of just men made perfect, forever sanctified by one sacrifice. Are y'all tracking me here? On Mount Zion, Jesus' obedience, everything's a gift, all according to grace, enjoy. Glorify me because I love you so much, right? But the enemy's always trying to lure us back into, like Tim was saying, <clears throat> the old covenant. And you know, none of us are out here, I command this tickle on my throat to go in Jesus' name. All right. None of us have the ability to stand on our own. And the enemy knows that. And so he's always trying to, how I many of the enemy's always trying to develop pride in us? It's the only thing to frustrate your grace. And so he's always trying to lure us back into that place because in that place, faith is nullified. It becomes all about our obedience. And we don't want that. On Mount Zion, our, it's not our obedience, it's Jesus' obedience. And now Jesus' obedience becomes a weapon for us to take a stand. What do you have? <clears throat> yeah, 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 well said. Yeah. Yeah. Sinai. 
satisfied with the cross. Not satisfied with Jesus. And so if, if this obedience of Christ is really going to become a powerful tool in your life to, to, to win the war and the battle, <clears throat> you got to submit and understand that Jesus was enough. Can I get an amen? And that's not a difficult submission. It should be an easy submission. But it does require an element of humility. You don't, I mean, no, you don't do anything to make yourself right with God. You don't do anything to keep yourself right with God. We simply submit to it. We yield to it. We let Jesus be God. You know, so we let him be Messiah. Amen? So we submit to that righteousness. Now turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, please. Talking about allowing the obedience of Christ to become a weapon in your life. Because here's the thing. <clears throat> the devil, he does not know how to handle Jesus. I mean, oh, Jesus kicked his butt. He stripped him. He made a show of him openly. In Colossians, it says he, that, that Jesus disarmed the enemy. The enemy no longer has the ability to accuse you. Right? So... And what you have to understand is the accusation of the enemy doesn't come in the third person. He's not on the outside of Tim saying, Tim, your, your hair is too long, your beard's too big, you know, blah, blah, blah. He's not on the outside. But he is on the inside in Tim's voice telling Tim from, from Tim's voice and Tim's perspective why Tim's not worthy, why God's not going to bless him. The reason this didn't happen for you is because you did this or you said this or whatever. I'm not saying there's not repercussion for action, but... God's committed to you in your good days and your bad days. He's committed to you in your victories. He's committed to you in your failures. He's not a fair-weather friend. Abraham's life is a perfect example of that. We see Abraham do this, and then, you follow me? Because of the faithfulness of God. So there is an attack, but the attack's going to come through your voice. Isn't that weird? How I many know we can be our own worst critics? And I'm telling you, a lot of those thoughts don't even originate within you. They come from the enemy. And he shoots them inside of you, and you think it's your voice, but it's actually not even your voice. It's the stupid devil trying to convince you. The devil's always trying to do two things. He's always trying to act like he's God, and then he's always trying to, he's always trying to um, like I said, speak to you in the first person to where you become your own worst enemy and you attack yourself. Or y'all track him here. And so... Um, the obedience of Christ in submitting to that destroys all of that. Because here's the thing. The, I mean, the game is over. Devil's lost. He has no right in your life. You're in a covenant that God made with himself. God's going to be faithful to the covenant he made with himself. He loved you so much he brought you into this covenant. It's not like, you know, God just loves Jesus and he tolerates you like a pimple on Jesus' face. <laughs> no, no, no. No, he loved you so much, he brought you into Jesus, and now you're beautiful and perfect in Christ. And, and, and I honestly, you know, and, and I often think about this, it's like, broad is the way of destruction, narrow is the path of life. I feel like understanding this is this narrow path of life. You know, how many people will really understand that they're the righteousness of God? How many people will understand that God's going to be faithful to you based upon Jesus? You know, I mean, there aren't many people that understand that. There aren't even many people that are even interested in understanding that. 
Hey, but there's all kinds of people clamoring about trying to establish their own righteousness in all different types of religions and all different branches of Christianity. Why? It's attractive. People want something they take credit for. They want something that they can, they can you know, have a little badge for. They want those things, but those things aren't in the kingdom. You don't take credit for anything. Jesus gets all the credit, but you do get to come up. You get to enjoy it all, and it is free. But it's all him. It's not us. And how many of that requires humility? And that's why he's the stumbling block. And that's why, you know, he's the stumbling block. It, 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 it trips the self-righteous up. He, he tripped the self-righteous up all the days of his earthly ministry. And he embraced the sinners the whole time as well. <clears throat> and so let me read you this passage. Singer in the chapter 5, verse 21. I'm going to give you a little context here and just read through this to get where we're going. This is so beautiful. Singer in the chapter 5, verse 21. It says, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We then as workers together with him also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. What is he talking about here? How many people, how many people has God made righteous and they walk around like they're worms? How much grace has God poured out and people have received that grace in vain? And people are always measuring themselves against other people. Measuring themselves in the balances of their own judgment of themselves. Don't receive the grace of God in vain. Embrace the fact that you're right with God. Be bold in it. Walk in it. Put your shoulders back. Take what's yours. The word faith in the Greek is the word lombano. It means to take. Take it. Somebody shared something the other day I thought was wonderful. It was so good. I'm not going to quote it perfectly, but I get the concept across. <clears throat> How many know God, God answers prayer? But if you've got a shovel in your hand and, you're, and you just got to sit in there and you're praying for a hole, you have a problem. He dig the hole. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, don't pray for the hole. Dig the hole. <clears throat> God, I mean, God has given us all this stuff. He's just waiting on somebody bold enough to come take what he's given. Someone just to lay down themselves and say, I want everything Jesus deserves. That pleases God. How I many of that honors the work of the cross? That's not egotistical. That's, that's honoring the work of the cross. God said, I'm going to lay Jesus' perfect obedience to your account. And now you get what Jesus deserves. Jesus got what you deserved on the cross as a result of the fall of man. And so now God's like, come get it. Who's the kid that gets the most candy on the playground? The kid that comes ask for it. You ought to be around kids. And there'll be that one kid and be like, can I get another piece of candy? Can I get another piece of candy? But you know what? They're going to Can I get another piece of candy? I mean, you know, you go give that kid candy. Because he asks. Because <clears throat> he has the audacity to think he deserves it. It's his candy. I mean, God's the same way. God's like, you want something? Ask me. Yeah. I feel like we, we've all not asked enough. We, 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 we've limited him because we were standing on our own obedience. Yeah. Yeah. Well, God, I don't, need to, I, don't, I, don't need, I don't deserve it. We know you don't deserve anything. I don't, we don't, none of us deserve nothing. We did everything because of Jesus. Oh, Let's stop being miserly with our expectation of the promises oh. of God. And let's stand on the cornerstone, the foundation, and say, I want what Jesus deserves. You follow me? Yes, sir. Let's have the audacity to do that. Let's have the boldness 
to do that. Because if I'm standing on my own obedience, then there are days I feel like I deserve it and days I don't feel like I deserve it. But if I can stand on Christ's obedience, then I always deserve it. That, that's how God blessed Abraham and when he made all those mistakes. And it didn't mess him up. It didn't spoil him and turn him into a bad person. I mean, you know, he became faithful as he enjoyed God's faithfulness. But somehow God managed to bless a man because he wanted to be good to him. Abraham's our example. That's the covenant that, that we enjoy. Amen? And so, amen. Let me continue to read it. It says, for, for he says, in an acceptable time I have heard you. In the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. But in all things, we commend ourselves as ministers of God in much patience, in tribulation, in needs, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults. Not sure what that is, but it doesn't sound good. In tumults. I'm just kidding. I know what that means. I'm a pastor. I know what all the words in the Bible means. In tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness. We got a little bit of that in the Johnson house. In sleeplessness. In fastings, by purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. All of a sudden, he's like, this righteousness, it's a weapon. It's a, it's, it's, it's a weapon. Now, with a weapon... I mean, with a sword, you can attack and you can block. You can defend. Thank you. And and so this obedience of Christ, this righteousness <clears throat> has been given to you as, as a weapon. And once again, come on, weaponizing the obedience of Christ. He says it's a weapon in the right hand and the left. And that word for weapon is the word hoplon. And some translation translate that as shield, but that's not that's not what it says. Hoplon is, uh, in, in the Greek, it's 3696 in the Strong's, and it means it's it's a tool, an implement, a weapon. And uh, it says hoplon is no, an implement normally used for warfare. Instrument is in weapons to wage war. Instruments to make war. So it is literally a weapon. Do you know that Jesus' obedience has been given to you as a weapon <clears throat> to take a stand against the enemy? To take a stand against the enemy's lives? It's a weapon. It's a weapon. How's it a weapon, Jeremiah? Well, the enemy has lost the ability to accuse you. The enemy has lost the ability. How I many of the enemy doesn't have authority over you? How I many know you have authority over him? Go ahead. Sure, lying. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. It's good. It's good. He, he, he's a liar. And if we believe his lies, those lies have power over us. But, you know, anybody ever believed a lie before? 
And as a result of believing the lie, I had power over you, right? And that's why truth brings freedom. And, and the reality of, of, of this righteousness is you it's given you authority. It's given you a right. It's given you all of these things. And so we need to use this weapon of righteousness. I'm going to read you that same passage of Scripture out of the Good News Translation. It says, by our message of truth, by the power of God, we have righteousness as our weapon, both to attack and to defend ourselves. <clears throat> I thought that was really good. Both to attack and to defend ourselves. And so, what would it look like for the, and, about, and righteousness, this gift of righteousness is the obedience of Christ that's been given to you as a, as a weapon. <clears throat> what would it look like to attack with righteousness. What, what would it look like? Well, here's the thing. Your righteousness, I mean, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much. I mean, as a person that is right with God, you, you, have, you have a power and a right to pray. An unbroken power, an unbroken right to pray. How many know that you you now have um, authority, and that once again the authority that's been given to you. How many know it's not based on your obedience; it's based on the obedience of Jesus, right? And so, you know, the pastor said, you know, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Man, if I was just a righteous person, you know, I just need to try harder and be more righteous. And I need to, I mean, that's war according to the flesh. If I'm praying and I'm trusting in me, and, and what's happened for a lot of people is, is they didn't just, they, they would trust in their gifting or they would trust in their title or they would trust in their office or they would trust in other people's trust in themselves. I mean, you know, your trust needs to be completely and solely and only in Jesus and what Jesus has done because what Jesus has done can't be broken. I mean, you can't reverse the cross. <clears throat> you can't put Jesus back up on the cross again, right? It's a, it's a, it's a solidified victory. So a part of it is prayer. And then, and then how many know a part of it is, is, is using your words and speaking. How many know there's authority in your words? Turn to Hebrews chapter one, please. <clears throat> There's a, there, we, we, this righteousness, and I want to talk about it being an, an offensive thing, and I want to talk about it being a defensive thing, but it is the obedience of Christ, and it's given to you as a gift, and it needs to be unwrapped, it needs to be enjoyed, it needs to be studied, it needs to be just brought into yourself to where it becomes a reality for you. Not just a head knowledge, not just something you can answer on the test, but like it's really affecting your life. You know, the scripture talks about, you know, how the, the day dawn and the day star arises and, and kind of how rainbow comes. See, when, when, when truth first comes to you, it's like it comes to you and you start hearing it. It bears witness and it's coming in as it keeps coming in and keeps coming in and keeps coming in. Then it's like that light that's been shining in you turns into a day star and it starts to shine out of you. We come on, Jeremiah. When the light shines out of me, it affects the way I see. When I know I'm the righteousness of God, I walk different. I talk different. I live different. I view the world different. When the giants come, they're not coming against me. They're coming against Christ because I'm in Christ. Y'all track them here. It, 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 that day dawn, day star, you were having you know, your phone and you're just shining a light to where you can see. Revelation then becomes a part of you 
shines out of you and changes the way you see the world. Changes the way you see yourself, changes the way you see God. It's the life that you walk in. Can I get an amen? And that's why it's so important to not, or to just bring it into you and make it be a part of who you are. Amen? And that's the power of, you know, studying the scriptures and, and, and listening, you know, to sermons and to teaching. It will, it, I don't, I, I want things that change our lives. I don't just want just patty cake Christianity. Like, I want something that's going to work at the house, <laughs> that's going to work in the world. And, and that's what, and, th and understanding this, this is what it empowers you uh, uh, to do. You know, I mean, we got a whole generation of people who are, who, who are establishing their identity in things that, that shouldn't be their identity. You know, I mean, they're, 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 they're looking to establish their value. I mean, I think social media has compounded this. I mean, it's so much worse, you know. You know, the way they look and what their hair looks like and how much money they have and what kind of car they drive. And they're putting their trust in all these things that just burn up like the wind, man. But how I many you know there's something that you can put your, there's someone that you can put your identity in that's rock solid. He's the rock, Amen. And it, it can it can just bring a strength and a confidence in your life. And I'm talking about Jesus. I'm talking about his righteousness. But Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 8, it says, But to the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. So now, I, I just want to wanna, wanna help you visualize something here. You know, a scepter was something that a king had that represented his power and his authority. You know, if the kingdom was strong in diamonds, they'd have like a, you know, a scepter with diamonds order. If he was strong, if they were a warrior tribe, he would represent, you know, their, their physical strength or whatever. But that, that scepter was, was, a, was a symbol of the king's power. Now, how many know Jesus has a scepter? It's not gold. It's not silver. Because that stuff's cheap in God's eyes. It's rocks to God. We walk on gold when we get to heaven. But what's valuable to God is rightness, righteousness. And I brought this out before, but if you can understand this, it'll help you understand how things operate. The reason God is so powerful is because he's right. That's why he's so powerful. He's incapable of lying. God sees darkness, he speaks light. Why, why, why this... Uh, if God woke up tomorrow and said the grass is orange, how I many know oh, suddenly the grass will be orange? Because God's right and whatever God says happens. I'm trying to get this concept to you. <clears throat> so the reason he's so powerful is he's right. It's the foundation of his story. He's right. Right? Now he's given his rightness and placed it inside of you. Right? And so now you are right with God, which makes you powerful because you are right with God. Are you are y'all tracking me here? And so the scepter of his kingdom, it's not a gun, it's not silver, it's not gold, it's a scepter of righteousness. A scepter of righteousness. So now this scepter of righteousness, how I many you know it's been given to you? 
I mean, a scepter, it's a, it's, a, it's a portion of power. That is your weapon. That is your, 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 your power that you've been made right with God. Now, in exercising the authority that righteousness is given to you, how many know you're going to speak? Where the word of the king is, there is power. Your, your, your authority comes from what you say. What you allow will be allowed. What you don't allow will not be allowed. God can't change that for you. It's your decision. Amen? I mean, you got to take a stand against the darkness that's in this world. I mean, you got to take a stand against sickness. It don't have a right to you. It may come, but it doesn't have a right to. See, when, when, when a right is enforced, it takes some time to remove the transgressor. What are you talking about, Jeremiah? For example, let's say uh, a you know uh, let's say a, a mangy dog runs into my house and starts eating my dinner. Now there is on the on you know, it's, and it's my dog. It's the mangy dog. <laughs> Stray dog comes into my house, starts eating dinner. I mean, that dog doesn't have a right to do that, but I'm going to have to make it leave with the authority that's been given to me to make it leave, and it may try to resist. It may, but how do you know? It knows it's not right. I know that I am right. And when you know that you're right, you'll take a stand and you'll fight. When you know that you're right. And so you exercise, you command it to go because it has no right to go. You know, if someone were to, to come in, you know, to, to, uh, to well, we, we were at, we were, if someone were to come into my house and, and take my kids' toys away, you know, and start playing with my kids' toys and wouldn't let, you know, or whatever. I mean, you know, as a dad, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take authority over that. I'm gonna, we're going to change that. We're going to make that, we're going to make that stop because there's no right for this, right? That's really good. That's exactly the way it is. That's, that's, that, 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 he, we're now one with him. We are not standing on our own. Like, that's a very powerful vision the Lord gave. That's exactly what I'm preaching there. Because you're in Christ now. And so, like, when you speak, you're expressing the authority of Christ and the obedience of Christ is backing you up. And so, you have these rights. But how many know you can have rights all day long, but if you don't take a stand for your rights, you're not going to enjoy them. You, or no, or no, that's exactly right, too. You, you, you know, I mean, oh, God is a protector. Can you get an amen? And so there, there's protection, there's healing. I mean, oh, the, the enemy doesn't have a right to your finances. <clears throat> amen? I mean, the enemy doesn't have a right to your marriage. In, enemy doesn't have a right to any of these things. But we have to take a stand against these things because how many know he's going to try? Just like the mangy dog's going to try <clears throat> and eat the dinner or eat the food or whatever. The enemy is going to try to test whether you really know that you're right with God or not. Because what he'll try to do, he'll get you in a situation where he tempts you and you fail. And then when you're in the storm and you're trying to take a stand and you need God to show up, he'll be like, yeah, but what did you say last week? Or the, well, what words did you say? Or what did you do? You, you, you. Now, once again, how I many know it's not about you? It's about the Lord. I mean, the obedience of Christ has been set to your account. Listen, I know I'm saying the same thing over and over again, but I'm trying to circulate the, the truth and the revelation to where it just becomes real to you. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm trying to get it to, 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 to because 
I feel like we've spent far too long trusting in ourselves. We, our trust has got to be in Him. And, and I feel like as people get a hold of this, it, it's dude, there's just a new breed of Christian that's going to arise in the earth. They're just going to, and, and, and it's going to be the sons and daughters of God arising, displaying a glorious liberty. Please. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Come on. Come on. Mm -hmm. Come on. Come on. That's right. Come on. That's is Jesus. That's right. Every every aspect of that armor is is Christ. You know, it, it's it's his obedience that's given us that right. You know, um, but but how I many know you can have authority and not use it? Amen. And, and I've shared this before too. But I mean, you guys never had a substitute teacher and they didn't know they had authority? Oh, we ate their lunch, man. You know what I'm saying? And you can have the same teacher who knows their authority. And, you know, and I always I talk about Mr. Cash all the time. He was the, the older gentleman as my English teacher when I was a senior in high school. I didn't cross him. And he wasn't a big man. He wasn't a strong man. He just a man who knew who he was and knew his authority was. And we all respected him. And, and he cared about us, too. But there were teachers who didn't know their authority. I mean, you know, they had just as much authority as Mr. Cash. But because they weren't confident in it, they weren't enjoying it. So what I'm saying is put all, pull all your eggs out of your basket. Put all your eggs in Jesus' basket. All of them. Put all your confidence in what he's done because the obedience of Christ has been set to your account. It is the righteousness of God and the authority that you've been given is, is to, to take authority over these things. How do you exercise that authority? Go ahead. Yeah. Hmm. Sure, that's okay. Mm -hmm. Come on. Yes, that's it. That's it. We, 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 we have been removed from the equation, which is great because we were the weak link. And even when Jesus imputed authority, we see him imputing authority in his earthly walk. He gave, this is how powerful God is, how powerful Jesus is. He said, okay, I'm going to give authority to 12. Then I'm going to give authority to 70. Now you have to understand, all these people were spiritually dead. None of them were the righteousness of God. They weren't born again. Why? Because Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet and been raised again from the dead. But Jesus said, I'm just going to give you my authority. Just I'm going to give you the car. And, say, and, and, and what did the disciples come back and say? They said, the, the demons fear and tremble at your name. I mean, they went around casting out demons just based on Jesus' imputed authority. How much more now that you're in Christ and you're one with Christ, just like the vision that you have? Because that's what we all have. You lay down your 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 you, and now we've we've stepped into Him. Amen. And so now we've been given this authority. How I many of oh, this authority is powerful to pray for our nation? How I many of oh, this authority is powerful to pray for our kids and to pray for our schools and not just pray, declare. You know, all prayer is not asking. You don't have to ask God whether it's his will to heal. 
No, you don't have to do that. It, it, it's his will. It's his will to heal. You know, Jesus came and he 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 healed and he saved and he and he, and he did good. Amen. I don't have to to ask, you know, the, God's will. You don't have to ask God about His will. What you know is will. Now there are things you need to know. Who do I marry? Where do I work? What should you know? Blah, all these gray areas. <clears throat> but when it comes to the promises, you take a stand and you declare. Can I get an amen? But you're going to have to take a stand in Jesus' obedience or the enemy's going to knock you off the boat because he's going to find a flaw in you. Right? And, 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 and I just, and I know I'll keep, but it's not about us. It's about, it's about the Lord. And so when we can learn how to embrace who we are in Christ and embrace this gift of righteousness and understand that the obedience of Christ has been set to our account, there's a confidence that I believe is going to arise on the inside of us that's going to be amazing. And, and another thing that it's going to do, we're, we're just going to stop being like these, these, <clears throat> these self-righteous Christians that think they're better than other people. Like, no, you're not. You know, like, you know, well, I'm, you know, to say someone over here is a drug addict. You know, when you understand the righteousness of God, you understand you're not better than that person. No, no, no. When you understand the righteousness of God, you start to understand you're not better than anybody else. <clears throat> this is not about who's better or worse. The world's always comparing and stuff like that. The kingdom's not like that. This is about who's alive and who's dead. Because if you haven't received Jesus, then you're dead, spiritually speaking. This person, it's not about the multitude of their sins or their misdeeds. You know, the issue is Jesus. And so what it does is it allows... Christians to carry themselves compassionately to the lost and lovingly to the lost and, and revealing the love of God because it's not about their good deeds or bad deeds, just like it's not about your good deeds or bad deeds. It's about come get on the ark. <laughs> come come step into the Christ. Amen. And it'll it'll change the um, it'll change the way that the, the, the we view the world and the way that the world views us. And so this gift, let's turn back to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and we'll close right here. But this obedience, this is how you fight your battle. This is how I fight my battles, right? It's the obedience of Christ, man. Like, that's what you got. Like, it's like, oh, it's in you. It's on you. It's in you. It's become you. Like, the, the, the vision that the Lord gave Cheryl, she, she was seeing herself. That's what the Lord wants from us. He wants us to know that we're in Him. And so, there, there's a you're not on trial. The blood's on trial. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. The blood's on trial. Not you. Because what will happen is, you know, make a mistake or something, then you get in a storm, you get in a battle, and the enemy will convince you that, man, the reason that God's, God's not for you, you're not blessed. I mean, I spent 14 years of my life thinking that if I didn't give a certain percentage amount of money, that I was cursed. That, 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 you know, God was going, God was going to curse me if I did not give a certain percentage of money. And I believed it. And here's the challenge. Because I believed it, it had an element of impact in my life. You know, you know, because like if you didn't do this, you didn't do that. All of a sudden you're expecting curse. All of a sudden you're expecting God not to bless you. All of a sudden you're expecting destruction. <clears throat> I mean, oh, that's a lie. But if I believe that lie, then that's gonna then that's gonna be my experience. I mean, you know, Jesus became a curse 
to redeem us from the curse. You're, 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 whether you're blessed or cursed has nothing to do with how much money you give. It has everything to do with the Lord. And, and, but so many pastors, like, they're just scared if they don't preach the curse and threaten people that people aren't going to give. <clears throat> I mean, that's not really trusting the Lord. Can you get an amen? I mean, if I've got to scare people into giving, then I'm not trusting God to, to, to encourage people to give. I'm not trusting the Spirit of God to do His work. I'm, I'm, I'm taking over, and I'm trying to be in control. Man, listen, um, uh, God's for you. God loves you, amen? And, he, and, and, and you're the righteousness of God in Christ, and all the obedience is set to your account. But let's use this weapon. Let's use it. Like, you know, I mean, there's a lot of battle out there. Let's, let's, let's understand this weapon is, 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 is in, our, in our arsenal, you know? I mean, a weapon's not going to do you any. You can have 30 weapons, but if you don't use them, they're not going to do nothing for you. Let's develop confidence in the obedience of Christ. Not the obedience of Tim, not the obedience of Ethan, not the obedience of Brian, not the obedience of Jeremiah. Let's put our confidence in the obedience of Jesus. Y'all tracking me here? Like, because what this does is like it removes questions concerning the faithfulness of God. So when I'm standing in a battle and all hell's breaking loose, I don't have to look to me. I can look to the Lord. And I can know the Lord's going to be faithful to me because I'm in Christ and He's and, and that obedience of Christ has been sent to my account. Because how many know when you start to question whether God's for you or not is during the battle? Because then we'd be like, if God was really for you, you wouldn't be experiencing this. If you were really blessed, this wouldn't be happening. I mean, in this life, you're going to have tribulation. And it has nothing to do with the favor of God. It just has to do with the fact that you're on earth. There's an enemy running around. He's, a, he's an illegal spirit. He is not, he's illegally here. He's illegally but I mean, he'll take all he can get if you don't shut him, if you don't stop him. You've got to, you've got to, and how do you stop him? You open your mouth. Speak what God has said. I just can't convey you how important it is. I know people religionalize that. I know people turn it into a formula. I know it's been abused and people turn it into legalism. I know that. People thought, well, if I just confess this enough and I'll twist God's arm and he'll bless me. That's not what it is. It is expressing the authority that God has given you, the scepter of righteousness, where the word of the king is, there is power. You say what God says about you. Say it. Don't stop saying it. Keep saying it. There's power in your word. If we could just see what happens when we speak, if we could just see what happens in the realm of the spirit. You know, you, need, you, you should daily say, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I would encourage you to take a step further. The blessing of Abraham is on my life and on my family. Even we say that every day, don't we? Every day. And, and not legalistically, not if, oh, if we forget, if we fall asleep. No, no, no. Once again, whose obedience are we standing on? Jesus's, not mine. <clears throat> but I'm going to exercise and use the weapon that he's given, it, given to, to me by the declaration of his promises. Angels protect us and keep us safe. By his stripes we were healed. He supplies all of our needs according to his riches and glory. You know what I'm saying? That, that is, that's honoring him. It's, it's saying what he has said. But the power of all of that is the obedience of Jesus. 
the righteousness that's been given to us. Amen. And and honestly, when we when we start to get a hold of that, the enemy loses a foothold in our minds. Uh, and we're going to close right here. So let me go back to Second Corinthians chapter ten. And there's one last portion of this passage that I want to bring out. Second Corinthians ten. Let's read through it real quick. Verse three. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Once again, what's war according to the flesh? Me taking a stand in my own obedience. You don't want to do that. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. For the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And I'm going to bring out this word picture to you. Just imagine here comes a fiery dart. It's a match saying that I'm not worthy and I'm not good enough and God's not for me and I'm cursed. I take this thought, I drop it in the bowl of Jesus' obedience and it extinguishes it. And it removes any doubt because the work of the cross is finished. Can I get an amen? Your obedience, up and down. Work of the cross, finished. Put it in something that's constant and everlasting, the obedience of Christ. Take the thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Not the obedience of you, the obedience of Christ. And then he says the most interesting thing. He says, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. How I many you know there, there are times when the enemy comes in and, you know, maybe tempts us, distracts us, gets us to stumble, gets us to embrace a lie, gets us fearful, gets us full of anxiety, whatever. But how I many you know when you take the thought captive to the obedience of Christ, how I many you know you have to understand that when you follow God, you destroy the enemy's camp. Like when you're led by the Spirit of God. You 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 being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So the enemy may have put a setback in your life. The enemy may have, have caused you to stumble or whatever. But how many know that, that a moment of failure doesn't define your whole life? How many know we're not going to stare at the tree right here and not see the forest? Don't take a moment of disobedience. No, 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 no. Pull back. See the big picture. Look at Jesus. Yeah, I'm the righteousness of God. I have your obedience. Now, I'm ready to be led by the Spirit and to punish all disobedience. What's that talking about? How I many you know when you are being led by the Spirit of God, listen to me, you're unraveling the enemy's plans. How many times did the devil think he had you backed in the corner, backed in the darkness, no way out, and the Lord came in and rescued you? And now... As you're allowing the Spirit of God to lead you and to guide you, you're unraveling darkness out of your life, and you're unraveling darkness out of other people's lives as well. Hey, get an amen. You know, when we've been doing the evangelism in the streets and stuff, you know, we come and we present the gospel to somebody. How many know that, that God is removing darkness off of that person's life? When that light's shining, man, darkness is... So the enemy may have all these plans for this individual, but we come and share the gospel and share the love of God, we're, we're destroying darkness. See, the enemy wants to nullify the body and cripple the body of Christ through condemnation. 
just crippled under condemnation. I'm no good. I'm never any good. I'm awful. I'm just not like other. I'm, 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 me, me, me. And, you know, and there you are, the righteousness of God in Christ, but we're so consumed with condemnation. I mean, you know, it can, it can remove you really from your position of, of purpose. Because you don't feel like you're worthy of it. What if the enemy could have convinced Peter that Jesus was no longer for him? I guarantee you that period of time between when, when, when Peter denied Jesus three times and when Jesus met Peter on the shore was a rough, rough time for Peter. Thank God he didn't kill himself like, uh, like uh, Judas did. He could have. I mean, he really could have. Because, I mean, just the over... I can't even imagine how the man felt, to be completely honest with you. But what happened? Was it Peter's fault? Did that, let me ask you what, did that fall arise from Peter? No. Jesus told Peter, the enemy comes to sift you like wheat. <clears throat> he has an entire plan in motion to remove you from a position of leadership. He has an entire plan in motion to remove you out. How many of the devil said, if I can get Peter, I can mess all kinds of people's lives up? So he come for him. And he come after him. And, and, and his trap worked. I mean, for a little while. It did. Denied him three times. The level of condemnation that man must have experienced was probably overwhelming. And this is what he did. He was so, sometimes when you're under condemnation really, really strong, and, and you're not handling it properly, you'll just, you'll go find something to occupy your mind with. And this is what he told the other guys. I go fishing. He needed, he, he, he was just trying to escape. Because the condemnation was so big and so heavy, and he probably thought, I've messed this up, Jesus hates me now, and I'm no longer a leader, and I've messed all this stuff up. And the condemnation was overwhelming to him. And he's like, Hey, I, I go fishing. I'm just going to go put my mind. I, I don't feel like fighting the war. <laughs> I don't feel like fighting the battle. I'm just going to. I'm just going to go do something that I know. And just, just to escape. But how many know fishing condemned is misery? Watching a movie condemned is misery. Eating a pizza condemned is misery. Eating a gallon of ice cream condemned. Is misery. I posted some ice cream pictures last night on Facebook. That's reading to that. <clears throat> but whatever you're doing in a state of guilt and condemnation is not a joyful action. I mean, that's the reason a lot of people go into substance abuse because they're trying to escape. They're trying to get away. They don't know how to handle it, right? <clears throat> but the beauty of it is, he, he just went efficient. But how many know Jesus didn't leave Peter alone? He went and found him. Don't you know the Lord's going to come find you? He's not going to leave you. He's going to come get you. Listen, you can't leave the Lord. He's going to come get you. He's in there. Like, he's not going to leave you alone. <clears throat> you know, people that, that think that they've walked away from the Lord, people that, <clears throat> you know, have been so hurt by the church and they've walked away, you know, they feel like, you know, they're mad at God and all these things. You can't run from God. How are you going to run from who's inside of you? Like, he's going to come get you. He's going to get you. He may, he, you know, I have a, we, we have a mutual friend, Logan, some of you guys know him, but, you know, he, he was, you know, born again at a young age, but then walked away from the Lord, 
got into Satanism, you know, got into all kinds of crazy stuff. And, you know, and he persecuted Christians and hated Christians and all that. But the man's saved in here. And one day, you know, one or two o'clock in the morning, he gets off work, goes to Walmart, and there's a book in there that says, uh, like, God.com or something. That's all the book said. He read the title, and he looked at it, and all of a sudden, he busts out in tears and just totally just turns his life over to the Lord and, 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 and just totally, you know, now he's, now he's a minister. But, like, the, the God.com wasn't the tremendous revelation. It was the Spirit of God on him, not leaving him alone. God said, I'm not going to let you live like this. I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to stay after you. I mean, he leaves the 99 for the one. He's just like that. You ever seen him? He's tenacious. Like, he will not leave you alone. Why? Because he loves you so much. Amen? He's relentless and timeless and eternal. And he could have come get you. And that's what he did to Peter. He said, oh, you're fishing. Oh, well, I can't come fishing. I only live in church. <laughs> I can't minister to you when you're fishing because I'm, I only stay in the church building. I mean, oh, Jesus said, oh, you're fishing? Here, let me come to where you're at. And let me catch the fish you're trying to catch, but you can't catch it without me. And I'm going to make you breakfast, and I'm going to feed you, and I'm going to serve you, and I'm going to woo you back to me. Because I love you that much. And I haven't given up on you. And you still have the call of God on your life. And you still are the same person you were when I, you know, you're still mine. I'm not letting go of you. Y'all tracking me here. And man, and he and, and Jesus came, and in one conversation, he broke that condemnation off of Peter's life. And Peter was restored back into his position. And here's the thing: condemnation kills. It kills callings, it kills giftings, it kills, it kills literally, it kills. And the weapon against it is the obedience of Christ. It's the only thing that beats it. Because we, we don't have the ability to beat it in ourselves. Only the Lord's obedience can. So, like, don't tolerate condemnation. Allow the obedience of Christ to be weaponized in your life. Attack it. Condemn any time of judgment that tries to rise against you. Now, I'm not saying out of that you don't take responsibility for your actions. I mean, you know, when you do dumb stuff, you need to say you're sorry. When you do dumb stuff, you need to do you need to do the right thing. You're the righteousness of God, but that doesn't absolve you from responsibility for your actions or, or your behaviors. When you do something, you do something dumb. You, you got you got it. You you got to But here's the thing: in the midst of your dumbness, God's still for you. In the midst of your mistake, God's still for you. Amen. But we we the the, the weaponizing the obedience of Christ. Is what ends up happening is, is what the enemy meant for evil. I mean, what's turned for good. I mean, oh, even that failure in Peter's life, I guarantee you did something in his heart where he could help people in the future when they walked away from the Lord. That's right. The beauty of the way the Lord handles things is even our failures come to serve a purpose. Even our, even our, even our failures ultimately are going to glorify the Lord. Amen? But anyway... With all of that, um, so we're going to weaponize the obedience of Christ. I'm going to continue to study this. I'm going to continue to look at this, and I'm going to continue to really kind of bring this into my life. 
Because um, it, 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 the, the obedience of Jesus is what makes us strong. The obedience of Jesus is what gives us the victory. Amen? Amen. It's good. It's good. Anybody have anything in closing? Connie, go ahead. Amen. 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 I say well too. Mm. It's okay. I feel like crying too. I'm trying hard not to cry. Come on. Yes. Come on. That's right. Come on. Come on. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Try. Try. That's right. I think that, that moms are hit with a unique level of guilt. Um, I, this is something that I have seen. The enemy really tries to hit, I mean, parents in general, but specifically moms, to make them feel like, man, you know, I didn't raise my kids right, or I did this, or I did that, or, or whatever these things. But God says no. Thank you. 
Jesus. In the name of Yeshua HaMashiach. So be it. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. Amen has no right, man. He has no right. All the rights have been given to us through Jesus. Amen. I want to pray to you. Father, I just, uh, we just thank you. Lord, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your obedience. Thank you for giving it to us. We are grateful. Oh, we love you, Lord. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Lord, I just thank you that you help us to take a stand in who you've created us to be. And Lord, help us to grow in confidence and to not look at ourselves, but to look to, look to you. And Lord, we just thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.